Let's stand as we open with worship. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Go walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be your name, with the sun shining down on me, the world's all as it should be, blessed be your Every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. When the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, Blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, you give and take away, you give and you take away. darkness closes in, Lord, till I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your glorious name, blessed be the name of the Lord, blessed be your name, blessed your glorious name. You give and take away. You give and you take away. 
may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, I have the joy of being able to welcome you guys this morning. Um, so we're so glad y'all are here um, at Faith Family. Thank you for, for coming to, to worship with us. Um, we can worship together. What a joy it is that we can worship together. Um, worship the Most High God. The only one deserving of our worship. And how undeserving we are that we can worship. And yet he allows us to do it. He allows us to come and worship. He allows us to, to pray and talk to him. He allows us to know more about him. What a joy that is. Uh, a few announcements that we have for this morning. Um, the Foster Family School Supplies Distribution. Um, it's the backpacks that we're doing. Um, that's going to be uh, July 30th at 9 a.m. And we're going to need some volunteers uh, to come help with that. So if you um, are interested, please uh, let Matthew or um, this Daisy or someone know. Um, the Foster Closet is having an open house on July 31st. Um, that's going to be directly following the service. So that's going to be from 12 to 2 uh, on that Sunday, July 31st. That's also going to be Move Up Sunday um, or Promotion Sunday. That's when the Sunday school classes of uh, the grade schoolers are going to move up to the next uh, school year, Sunday school class. Um, deacon ordination has been rescheduled. We were going to do it on July 31st, um, but that has been rescheduled to August 14th as of now. Um, so it'll be that evening, August 14th. Um, the fish fry that we're having uh, is going to be August 7th. Um, and so there are sign-up tables in the back of the sanctuary. Um, so if you all are planning on coming, we ask that you would uh, sign up so we can have a number of how many to cook for. Um, but the sign-up tables are in the back of the sanctuary there. Um, and then through the month of July, we've been working on a memory verse. We've, this is something that we've started as a church um, is memorizing a verse of scripture together. Um, and so this month we've been memorizing Isaiah 6, 5. Um, so if y'all read that with me, it says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah 6, 5. Isaiah is a prophet. He's, he was known here on earth as, as a prophet, as someone who's supposed to be holy, right? And when he sees the king, the only thing he can say is that he is a man of unclean lips. When he sees the holiness of God, it just showed him how unholy he was, how messed up he was. But the Lord is still gracious in allowing Isaiah that opportunity to, to be with him, right? So let's, uh, let's take a moment to, to pray, and then we'll continue to worship through song. Father, you are good. God, you are gracious. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to, to come and worship, God, that we can be together, that we can be in community on Sunday mornings and worship together. God, I pray that this time of worship will be glorifying to you, God, that we will be um, focused on you and your goodness. Lord, that this time of worship won't just be today, but God, that we will continue to worship you throughout the week. 
thank you for your goodness. Lord, that you would send your son to die for our sins. That while we were still sinners, you died for us. Lord, thank you for that gift. God, help us to glorify you and look to you in all that we do. In your name we pray. Amen. You can stand and sing together.
grace is enough. Save his power, breath and 
gracious that you you are self-sufficient you don't need us but God you desire for us to be in community with you God that we would worship you and glorify you and so you sent your son God to die for our sins while we were still sinners Christ died for us Lord thank you for that gift God, help us to remember that you are worthy, that you are king. God, help us to to seek to worship you and to glorify you in all that we do. God, I pray for Pastor Matthew as he comes to bring the word. God, that you will give your congregation ears to hear and hearts to understand. God, that we would leave this building better equipped to be your church. God, that you would speak through Pastor Matthew, that your spirit would fill him with the words he needs to share. Lord, may this time be glorifying to you. Father, we love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I know the welcome was earlier, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return to one little part. If you're a visitor with us, I'd like to extend a welcome to you as you've joined us here this morning. There should be a card on the pew right in front of you and would humbly ask that as you're offering this morning, if you would take that, fill that out, share a little information about yourself with us, and drop that in the offering basket on your way out. We would greatly appreciate that opportunity. So, We are looking at faith this morning. We'll be in Mark 10, the very end of the chapter, uh, before Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the week of Passover, the last week of his life. And so we're going to look at biblical faith, what it means to trust God 
through the life of this, this man, Bartimaeus, and his story of God, Jesus, coming to him and healing him, but also the faith he displays in his response to Jesus as he follows Jesus. So, I'll give you a little illustrative story that uh, I uh, borrowed from Charles Spurgeon, and so he, he's not going to complain, uh, so he's, the, he's kind of the, the basis of it. So, have you ever planted something? You've gone and you've planted a plant, like a fruit-bearing plant, tomatoes, cucumbers, something that uh, you grow and it sets fruit, and then it's an heirloom variety that you want to save the seed. You don't want to go buy a little packet of seed again or order it from online. You want this, this plant to continue, and you want to continue to develop the, genetics, the genetic line that is on your property that grows in your soil that has your climate. So several years ago, we've, we've started gardening, and we were at this place where we grew things and wanted to save tomatoes, cucumbers, watermelon, all, not water, watermelon has never made it for us, but pumpkins, and save, save the seeds and then replant them next season. And so I remember sitting in front of this, I remember vividly this for whatever reason, having this fruit and thinking, I've got to let this go. Like, I want to eat this, but to get seed, I've got to let it continue. I've got to let it dry out and shrivel up in the hope that this really good vegetable fruit that I've watched grow and then picked, in hopes that this seed will be viable to plant again. And so you have this perfectly good vegetable. You have this perfectly good fruit, this perfectly good seed to eat. And so looking from the outside in, look at this and say, this, this is perfect food. Consume it. Take it. But you know you have, to, you have to wait. You have to lay it aside, let it dry up, shrivel up, in order for it to be used and grow and reproduce and continue to bear fruit again and again and again. And so in a way, as the world watching, you have this, this seed would say, it's good, take it, but you as a good farmer know it has to go. And so faith, similarly, is looking at, looking at this seed that you trust in God, that his promises are dependable and that he is dependable, and that you trust in him, and he will bear fruit in you. And so Bartimaeus is one of these, one of these people we see in Mark. As God comes to him, God calls him, he responds, trust in Christ, and God, in his life, bears fruit. And so let's read. Let's read uh, Mark 10. I'll read a few verses. We're going to start in 46 and continue on to the end of this chapter through 52. So if you would, read with me. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Verse 50, 
And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. And so it thrills me to look at Christ. And I hope you enjoy the Gospels. I hope you have read the Gospels. hope you would avail yourself the opportunity to consider Jesus. There is no higher person. There is no higher um, life to look at than the life of Christ. And so this, this really quick, just a handful of verses is packed full of so much gold. I hope we will walk through and look at this. So Jesus, as I said, he's approaching the end of his life. He has traveled from northern Israel, traveled down to Jericho to come into uh, Israel, to, into Jerusalem for the week of Passover. And so the rest of the gospel is his teaching and is what happens leading up to the cross. And so Jesus knows where he's going. He knows what's happening. He knows what he is walking towards and walking into. And so Passover, this is a high holy week. This is one that, that the men were required to travel, the Jewish men were required to travel into uh, Jerusalem as an act of worship and as an observance of this week of Passover. And so many people were traveling with Jesus at this point in the story, at this point in the narrative. And so uh, this miracle, one, is the, he's named Bartimaeus has a name, and that is very uncommon for Mark, for this, this man to be named. And so he's named, but this is also, this is the last positive miracle, barring the resurrection, crucifixion, resurrection. This is, this is the last positive miracle that Jesus does, is the healing of this blind man. And so, let's, let's walk through, let's look at this text and look at verse 46 and see a little bit about this location of Jericho and of the context of what is happening here. So Jericho is about 14, 15 miles from Jerusalem. And it's 14, 15 miles straight down. It's 800 feet below sea level. And so from where Jesus is walking to Jerusalem, he has got 3,300 feet of elevation to climb. And so he, he has to walk with these people up this mountain to come to Jerusalem, and all these people are with him. And so if you look at verse 46, 46 they came to Jericho, period, and when he was leaving Jericho, why, why this? Why, why this difference here? In, in we have this first little statement, and then we have the miracle as he's coming out. And if we look at the other Gospels, the other three, I think we have an answer in that many commentators, many people see a discrepancy here. In that Luke says that Jesus does this miracle coming into Jericho. And we have here Mark saying he's coming out of Jericho. And so is this an error? Is this an issue? I don't think so at all. I think Mark has given us some instruction here. And also, history also helps us in that there were two Jerichos. There was an old city and there was a new city. Herod the Great, just before Jesus, uh, he builds the new city of Jericho with a, a palace 
And so if we look at this as a point of view, as we look at how Luke says that he drew near to Jericho for this healing, if we see that it's him coming out of the old city, and then Mark saying he's coming into Jericho on his way in, then I think we have an answer. I think we, we have a clear answer in what Mark is saying here of they came to Jericho and while he was leaving, if we look at it through those lenses, those point of views. Does that make sense? So, you can look at Scripture and you can point to things, as many do, and say that's a problem, that's a discrepancy, that means it's false. There's always an answer. There's always an answer between the Gospels. There's always an answer in Scripture because it is God's Word. He has inspired it. He has preserved it. And so as we approach it, we should approach it as such, giving the benefit of the doubt there and considering what it says. And so as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd was with him. So as I said, High Holy Week, people are traveling into Jerusalem. This is a major thing. So there are people everywhere. There are crowds who are traveling and also crowds who are traveling with Jesus. We learn from other, the other gospels, specifically John, that everything is a buzz. That the, the air is electric with where is Jesus? What is he doing? What is going on? If we look in John eleven fifty six, we see that uh, the people in the temple, it says, were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will come to the feast at all? Will he be here? And so they are, as they are preparing for Passover, they're chatting about where Jesus is. They're all wanting to know, have you seen him? What's he going to do? Is he going to show up? And so the focus, which is, which is great, that it's Jesus is their focus as they are preparing for Passover. These pilgrims, as they're going, Jesus is on their mind of where is he? What's he going to do? And also, not only those who are coming for Passover, but the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, also have Jesus on their mind, but not in the same way. We see uh, a few verses before in John eleven fifty three that so that day, as the Pharisees got together and decided what to do about Jesus, it says that they made plans to put him to death. They weren't quite as affectionate to Jesus. They were planning for his death and also... Verse 57 of that same chapter, the chief priests, Pharisees, given orders that anyone knew where he was, they should let him know that they may arrest him. So the Pharisees, Sadducees, they, they were confronted by Jesus. Jesus' ministry, the miracles he did, were, were directly uh, upsetting them, and they sought to the point to kill him. They were looking for Jesus not, not in amazement, not in, not in being just dumbfounded by this man who was doing these incredible things, but in order to silence him and to rid themselves of Jesus. And so the cumulative ministry of what Jesus was doing had brought them to this point where their response was rejection and seeking to arrest and kill him. And so another thing beyond the cumulative ministry, there's something else that happened around this time that a few weeks before where we're at here, we have John record another miracle of Lazarus. And recall the story of Lazarus. Lazarus, Mary, Martha were beloved followers of Christ. 
And the word comes to Jesus that Lazarus is dying. Will you please come? Jesus says, we're going to wait. Waits two days. And then they come into Bethany, which is just a short walk from Jerusalem. And Jesus comes as Lazarus has been dead for four days. He's been dead a while. And he comes and resurrects this man, brings him back to life. And John records that many believed because of Lazarus. That as Lazarus is alive, he then is a very visible witness of the the work of God, but he's also a very verbal witness of Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord. As he went and showed and spoke about what Jesus had done, and the Pharisees and Sadducees also were pretty upset about that and sought to kill Lazarus also. And so this is, this is kind of the atmosphere. This is the picture of where Jesus is in his ministry and where the people around him, who he's walking from Jericho into Jerusalem, what they're thinking and kind of what the dynamics are. And so it's important, I think, we get this picture because it, it makes what Jesus does here so much more vivid, so much more vivid in this man Bartimaeus as Jesus is a week before his crucifixion. And he is walking this hot, dirty road up a mountain with massive crowds going to Jerusalem. And we see this tension, this great tension of great amazement and desire to kill him. And we have Jesus come across this man, Bartimaeus. And notice the name. It says Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, Aramaic, Hebrew, means son of Timaeus. And so you have it twice in the text. Why? Why does Mark do that? Because Mark's audience perhaps were not Jewish. His audience would have been people who were not familiar with the etymology of Hebrew uh, Jewish people, of son of Timaeus. And so uh, you, you see a repetition there between Bartimaeus and son of Timaeus here, but he is a beggar, and he's a blind beggar. And so what does this mean? Is his blindness something he was born with? It doesn't appear that. It doesn't appear that, uh, that it was something he always had, but something that happened to him. We're not given information of how he became blind, but he is blind, and he is sitting by the roadside. He's not going. He's not traveling. He's sitting and begging. And so Timaeus, he is, not Timaeus, sorry, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Bartimaeus, he has no hope. He is sitting on the side of the road, and he's asking for alms, asking for help. He is discarded, he is laid aside, he is unwelcome, and so culturally he is looked at as cursed by God. Remember John 9, the the story of the man born blind who is healed. And as the disciples, in the beginning of that chapter, they come to him and say, Rabbi, Jesus, who sinned that this man was born blind? Was it him or was it his parents? They viewed this blindness as a curse. That Bartimaeus is a cursed person before God is the cultural stance and the religious stance that he is told and these expected of that he is cursed of God. 
But let's see. Let's see what Jesus does as Jesus comes across his path. As we see Bartimaeus sitting here asking for help, this blind beggar, and then we have Jesus. Look at verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So the blind man, Bartimaeus is sitting there, hears the commotion. He can't see, remember? So he doesn't see who's coming, but he hears. And apparently he asks, what's happening? What's going on? And finds out Jesus of Nazareth is coming. And so Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is the home that Jesus comes from. This is a very human description. It's just a guy. It's just a guy, Jesus, from Nazareth. And it's, it's just a, a man who, is, who hails from this area who is coming. And notice what he says. Notice how, how he responds. Jesus, son of David. Son of David is a really important title. It's a really important title for Jesus. It's a messianic title. It's a title that connects with a promise God gave David that from David would rise a king whose scepter would never depart, whose throne would never end, who would be Lord forever, the Messiah who would come. And so this son of David was promised who was going to come to restore not only the kingdom of Israel, but restore the people to bring salvation for the people. So he he apparently knows, Bartimaeus knows his scripture, knows the promise, and knows enough about Jesus and who he is and what he has done to put that together, to put that theology together of who Christ would be and who this man who has done such incredible things actually is, that he is God, that he is the son of David, he is the Messiah, the one expected. And so he cries out. And that Greek word for cry is a very violent term. It's an aggressive term. It's not a word of just, hey, Jesus, I'm over here. He is, he is yelling, hollering with all he is. It's used other places of, of parents who are in, in turmoil to, for the sake of their children, who are in complete anguish. People who are possessed by demons, who are crying out to Jesus. It's also the term that's used as Jesus gives his life on the cross as he cries out to the Father. This is a, this is a term of anguish. This is a really aggressive term he uses here for him crying out to Jesus. And he says, Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. This is a cry of a sinner in need of a Savior. So Bartimaeus here, as he is crying to Jesus, gives us this picture this picture of every sinner's cry to Christ for a Savior, a man who needs physical healing, who goes to God to take away his impurity. A cry to Christ to heal him that he would be able to approach God to remove his religious impurity. Let's continue on, verse 48. Many rebuked him. This is what happens. He's hollering, he's crying out, Jesus, come. Come help me. And everyone tells him, be quiet. They rebuke him. They tell him, silence, so that he will be quiet, so he will just go away. 
But he cried out all the more. His response, as, as he's told to be quiet, silence, just you, you go back over there to the side of the road and disappear from us as we are trying to listen to Jesus. We're trying to get up here. You're bothering us. Be quiet. He ups the ante, and he, he keeps on hollering. He hollers all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And some beautiful words here in verse 49. And Jesus stopped. Jesus stops. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and he stops. Jesus just so happens to be walking by Bartimaeus. I think we also have to see the sovereignty of God here, as Jesus just so happens to be walking by Bartimaeus. And Bartimaeus just happened to be here at this place as he's sitting begging. And Jesus stops. He stops to give his attention to this man. This man who everyone else, the crowd, many who rebuke him and say, be quiet, go away. Jesus stops to give his attention and to turn to him. And Jesus calls him, says, call him. So Jesus stops and instructs others, call this man, bring him to me. So he stops, gives his attention to Bartimaeus and instructs him to come to him, to call him. So the notice also as he, as he does, as he turns and calls this blind man, others quickly change their tune. Take heart, be courageous. He's calling you. And so what does Bartimaeus do? Check out this reaction. This is, this is a fantastic reaction here in verse 50. And he throws off his cloak. This is an outer garment. This is his jacket, more than likely. It was before he had it with him collecting. Uh, and so he throws off his jacket and he springs up. He jumps up and he comes to Jesus. What joy we see in this man. As Jesus has heard him, he has called to him and Jesus has heard him and he springs up to go. Springs up to go to Jesus. What exuberant excitement we see. Jesus has called him. The Savior has seen him. And so he comes to Jesus, and notice what Jesus says in verse 51. What do you want me to do for you? Now, if we have read Mark, if we've been reading this, the passage just before this, we see this exact same question. This exact same question comes out of Jesus' mouth in response to two of his disciples. James and John who come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, do something for us. Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And James and John, if you want to just flip back and look at it and read it, James and John ask for authority. They ask for a place of authority, a place of power, a place of leadership that they, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, can sit in a place of authority over others. So James and John come to him, and they want to be able to be Lord beneath Jesus, of course, but just barely over everybody else. So that they can, be, they can be the VPs of the new kingdom. Selfish. Selfish question and response to the Lord. And we see a very different one here. And we'll come back to this as we wrap up. But we have this, this parallel between these disciples who have walked with Jesus, who have seen Jesus. And they come to him begging for selfish authority to rule and to reign. And then we have Jesus, we have Bartimaeus here. In his response to this question, as the blind man says, Rabbi, let me recover 
my sight. And this term rabbi is not just teacher. This term is also on the lips of Mary Magdalene as she comes to the garden, as Jesus is resurrected and Jesus is revealed to her. And she says, this uses this same term. And it's a personal, intimate term of my master, my Lord. This is not just a term of, of you are a teacher and you're one, you're a professor that I, that I need to listen to, but a personal term of following, of obedience, of recognition that Jesus is his Lord and his master. Let me recover my sight. And so Jesus, Jesus gives some instruction to him in verse 52. Says to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovers his sight and follows him on the way. So Jesus says, okay, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that term in the Greek, well, is not just health, but it's actually the term for saved. That you have been saved, and that term is perfect, meaning it's a completed work. It's a completed action, not to be done again. And I think it's there intentionally to point us to what we see him doing. That we have Bartimaeus, who as Jesus says, go your way, where is his way now? His way is following Jesus. He turns around and follows Jesus where Jesus is going. So Bartimaeus trusts Christ who he is, that he is the Lord, that he is his master, and he follows Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life to worship him as his Savior. And so what does this mean? Let's look at a few things from this, a few kind of applications, point of applications here. This is all our story. In a manner of speaking, Bartimaeus shows us a spiritual description of our position before God. That we all sit somewhere in life helpless in our sin. We are all in a position and a place where we are forbidden from God's presence. We are unclean and we are cast out because of our sin. And the remedy is Christ. And at some point in life, Jesus just so happens to cross our path. And come to us and call us like he did Bartimaeus. That Jesus comes, crosses, and asks. And it's the sinner's cry to the Savior here of, Lord God, help me, heal me, come to me. That we, we have Bartimaeus as this is his cry. It's the same cry for each of us. It should be. That it's our cry that Jesus would save us. The compassionate King of all who goes to Jerusalem to his own crucifixion would pay attention to you and to me, would stop where he is and call us to himself. And so I hope that he has lifted you out of spiritual blindness, he has lifted you out of sin, and you've trusted in him, that you've trusted fully in Christ, the Lord, the King who sits on a throne for eternity, and who the Savior who, came, who went to a cross on your behalf to pay for your sin, that you have 
responded to him, to trust in him, and would encourage you to not wait, but to see him, to hear from him, his call upon you to trust in Christ. Also, we see in here faith. We see in here a description of faith in this man and the nature of faith in Christ. That Bartimaeus, he has faith in Christ and he is changed. His life is changed. That yes, physically he is healed, but he is, he is healed to follow Christ. And so as we trust in Christ, as Christ saves us, he transforms us in that we were dead in sins and trespasses that separate us from God, and that faith in Christ yields a change of life, that God the Spirit comes and changes us by His grace, not merit, not what we have done, not that we have earned, but complete work of God in our lives, that faith is the avenue. It's not a means of accomplishment, but it's a dependency on what Christ has done. It's not that we merit and we do a little bit, but it's a response to Jesus and his call upon us to trust fully in him that he paid your debt. He paid my debt in the cross. And that we can then follow him as the way, the truth, and the life to listen, learn, and obey from our King. So Jesus commands authority, and he commands priority in this man's life. Go your way, and where is his way? His way is to follow Christ. He follows Christ. Faith follows Christ. If we have trusted in Christ, we must follow him. That we follow Jesus where he is going, we follow Jesus in what he said, and we follow Jesus by his example. And so we listen to him and learn from him that we would then emulate and become like him to do what he does, to live with his priorities, to act and behave and respond as he does in his ministry that we would do according to his instruction. And so God's beloved people, we must follow Christ. And what is one aspect of that is learning about him and what he has said and what he has revealed. Reading the scripture, feasting on the word of God that we would hear from him. Many of you do and do that daily and that is wonderful. Some of you do not and I would encourage you to see time in scripture as time with the Lord that you would approach scripture as God's word to hear from him to learn from him, and then to obey what he says. And so if it is daily something you do, do you daily approach the Scripture as God's Word? Or is it a a box to check off? Is it a, I know I need to do this, I'm going to do it, I'm just going to get through a chapter, a verse, whatever, get through my Bible reading plan, and get about what I want to do? Well, we're missing. If that, if that is in your heart, that's been me before, definitely. But we're missing the point. The point is not to just check a box off and do our religious activity, but in order to hear from God, hear from Christ, and bring our lives underneath His authority to follow Him. And so it's not a means to an end. Jesus is not a means to an end. That's what James and John did. 
Jesus was a means to an end from them. Hey, Jesus, elevate us. Give us authority. Not, you are Lord. I will follow you wherever and obey you. Jesus is no means to an end. He is the Lord to be followed and obeyed. And so, lastly, faith yields service because we follow a sacrificial Savior. Our Savior sacrificed Himself, gave Himself on a cross, gave of His time, His effort, His life throughout His ministry for others. Bartimaeus had no value to society. Society looked at him, the religious elite looked at him and said, you are cursed by God, go away. And yet Jesus stops and heals him and serves this man that no one else cares about. Jesus calls his followers, faith yields service to others because of who Jesus is. That we are to serve others because of Him. And as a side note, y'all, have, y'all do a great job of that. In that one example, last week we moved. And I had plans. In that I anticipated it to go a certain way. It was going to take this much time. And y'all showed up. And it happened incredibly, incredibly fast. What I planned to take four, six, eight hours took an hour and a half. Because y'all showed up and served my family. And served my family in such a selfless way. And because I have this opportunity, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the way you have served us. Is what God calls us to do as His people. It's what faith in Him calls us to do because it's who He is. That we serve others and we look to others as Jesus stops to serve him. And so, remember, as we see in this man who is seen as cursed by God, but who Jesus blesses and heals and writes, Jesus is sovereign. None of this is accidental. This may have been accidental in the people who were there and what they thought was going and going on and what they decided to do. But this is not accidental for Christ, our Savior. He is there by intention. And He calls this man to Him and brings him to complete and full salvation. He is justified in this moment. It's complete. It's finished. Jesus is sovereign. And He's the same Jesus. He's the same Lord. He is sovereign over us in our lives. He directs our steps, directs us. Do you see Him as such? Do you see Him as the Lord He is? Is your life in His hands? Have you yielded to Him? Or like James and John, the guys, the disciples before him, who are seeing him for, as a means to an end, who have approached him for selfish means, that faith draws us away from that desire, response, that perspective. It's all about me. It's all about what I can get. 
all about what I want and my desires being met. But instead, trusting in Christ that He would be the Lord, recognizing what has He done in my life? I am here not because of me, but because of Him. Because of His grace, because He walked across my path, because He came and called me out of death in the darkness I was not aware of and called me into the marvelous light of Christ Jesus. Don't forget, believer, if you're a believer, don't forget God's work in your life of bringing you to place, to the place of faith, of bringing you to dependence upon Him, of bringing about life in you that will well up into eternal life, that will never end because of His grace. Do not forget His sovereign hand of mercy in your life. Do not forget what He has done. And therefore, to walk in faith is to continue to look to Him, to continue to be filled with what He has said and what He has done, that others would see Him and know Him, and that He would be seen as the Lord He really is, and that will be ever so clear one day when He returns. And so let's, let's move in a time of response, a time of response to the Lord, to Christ, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is and what he has done in Bartimaeus' life. And I hope you would see him and hear him and respond to him as the sovereign Lord he is and the gracious, kind king who gives us time, who stops to listen to us, to see us, and to call us to himself. Father God, I thank you. God, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that, Lord, you... You are the king. You are unequivocally the Lord of all. That no matter what we see in life and our experiences, Bartimaeus surely was blind for more than a day. And that he sat in this situation, perhaps questioning, why am I here? And that, Lord, that could be our experience. But that you are the Lord. And I thank you that you are faithful, and carry us through as you did Bartimaeus for this time in his life, for this place as Jesus would cross his path around Jericho. As Jesus is approaching the cross that you call him to grace. God, would you call us to the same? That God, the same call would rest on our lives to know you and to come trust in your son Jesus. And that God, you would remind us, your people here, remind them of your grace in their lives and your sustaining grace that you will bring them across the finish line. You will, by your faithfulness, by the sufficiency of your promise and by the intercession of the son with the spirit with your people will conform us into the image of Christ, transform us by your word and your sufficient spirit to what you intend us to be. Vessels of your glory, of your goodness, and of your grace. Not for our sake and our glory, but for yours. And so, Father, would you direct us this morning, God, that we would hear you and turn our lives to you, Turn away from our sin and self and trust fully in your son, Jesus. And we would follow. We would follow like Bartimaeus did, wherever you would go. 
We thank you, ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're welcome to stand, you're welcome to sit. This is.